Hi, this is Carolyn Cooper. Welcome to the Mental Health and Faith Podcast, where we offer encouragement for life in this complicated world. Enjoy the episode. Hi, this is Carolyn. Today's podcast is filled with very useful information. This is an interview I did with Sue Crane Lewis back in 2019. She is the CEO and President of Mental Health America of the Heartland. The information is even more relevant and crucial in today's world. Sue shares some great resources that you will want to check out. Now, in addition to what she shares, I do want to remind you that there is now a new nationwide suicide and crisis prevention lifeline. It is 988. You can simply call or text to 988 and you will be connected to a network of local resources. So uh, keep that in mind as well. But I am going to get out of the way and let you enjoy this wonderful interview with Sue Crane Lewis. We are so excited that our guest today is Sue Lewis. She is the CEO of Mental Health America of the Heartland. And Sue, welcome. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be on this podcast today. Great. We're going to start by letting you tell us just a little about yourself, and then we'll get right to the questions and things. Sure. Well, um, I when I talk about myself, I always talk about my family first. I am the the proud product of a a number of generations of helping professionals. Mm -hmm. My grandmother and grandfather were uh, very involved in executive leadership of the YMCA. My grandparents on the other side were Baptist missionaries. My mother was an occupational therapist, and my father was a sociology professor. So I come from a from a long line of, of helping professionals and teachers, and I like to think I'm carrying forward the family mm, tradition. That's wonderful. Very compassionate family, it sounds like. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, I've been here at Mental Health America for about 22 years now. Um, prior to that, I worked... In a, in a broad variety of, of helping professional professions. I've worked with um, individuals who've experienced domestic violence, mm-hmm. um, individuals with intellectual or developmental disabilities, um, youth who are in crisis or involved in the correction system, mm-hmm. um, youth who are uh, trying to figure out how to avoid becoming pregnant, um, youth who are trying to deal with uh, child abuse or child neglect, um, you name it, I've kind of worked with a little bit of little bit of everybody. And Sue, I know there's something you really wanted to emphasize today. Can you share a little about that? Sure. Um, I, I want to make sure that everybody is aware of our warm line. Uh, one of the services that we offer, and again, this is another peer-to-peer service, okay. is our consumer-run warm line. And this is this is a telephone service that operates from four o'clock to 10 o'clock every single night of the week, every mm. day of the year, yes, even on Christmas. Mm. And it is a, a phone number where a person who is maybe struggling with, with life or with symptoms of their mental illness can dial up and talk to somebody who has walked that path and can 
either A, give them suggestions from their own experience, or B, maybe remind us of the coping skills that mm -hmm. we do have but forget sometimes. And that number um, is 913-281-2251. Okay. or 866-927-6327, which is warm ear. Warm ear. ear. Right, and it is called the Compassionate Ear. It's the longest consecutively running consumer warm line in the United States. We'd like to go ahead and, and uh, just ask you a few questions now. That'd be um, great. For what reason or reasons did you become interested in working in the world of uh, mental health? That's a that's a great question. I think um, I think that one of the things I found is is the issue of either mental illness mm -hmm. or mental health that's not as good as it could be. Maybe not not sick enough to be an illness, mm -hmm. but someone who just really not functioning in a, in a very well fashion, both mentally and emotionally, sort of threaded through um, all of the people that I ever had the opportunity to come into contact with in the, in the first third to a half of, of my time in, in public service, social oh. services. Yeah. So it was a common thread. Um, I, I sometimes tell the story of um, why I think I ended up at Mental Health America. Uh, my parents were very, very active in the civil rights movement oh. and Mental Health America, and they were active in the, in the civil rights movement ar around African Americans in our country. Um, Mental Health America is actually the oldest civil rights movement on the continent. Wow. Um, having been founded by a psychiatric patient at the turn of the last century, 1909. And so I'm sort of going back to those roots. Um, and I think I'm... As I think about it, one of the uh, one of the important stories in my family is of a gentleman named Eddie, who was a homeless gentleman who lived in mm. New York City. And my my father was a guy who never met a stranger, and he always would visit with Ed, oh. Eddie and was always very respectful. My father had a, a very sudden and unexpected stroke, and wow. my father did pass from that stroke. And in on the day we had the memorial service, I was standing in the front of the church um, doing a reading, and I heard a rustling way, way at the back of the church, and I looked up, and it was Eddie. And he stood way at the back in the shadows until it came time for people to, to share their memories of my father. And Eddie was the first person to come wow. forward and shared how much Alan's respect wow. and friendship had meant to him. I, I don't know how Eddie got a shower. I don't know how he got a suit, um, but he stood up there for my father. And that's a lot of what Mental Health America does for homeless people mm -hmm. and people with mental illness today. That's very, very inspirational. Well, I, you know, we're learning so much. I didn't realize what a wonderful history your organization has. And no wonder you have so many wonderful programs. Well, we've, we've been here in Kansas City since 1916. Wow. We've been, we're, we're pretty oh, old, and we change, we change with the times. Mm -hmm. um, one of the things that, that we haven't talked about yet is some of the sort of the public policy kinds of things that yes. we do, because we work on both sides of the state line in that, too. And really, that is, that is also very much about, pro, about improving the quality of life for persons with mental illness, mm -hmm. um, okay. which is one side of our mission. And they've got the body and the spirit part down, but they're having a little difficulty with how to 
to right. talk about the mind part and right. the mental part. Um, I often liken us to, I mean like the American Heart Association for mental health. So when I'm talking to people who don't really understand what that means, I say, well, if you're having a heart attack, you're not going to drive up to the American Heart Association. <laughs> and if you want an EKG, you're not going to find one there. But if you or someone you know in your family has been diagnosed with heart disease and you want to know how to live healthy with it or what the best medications or treatments are for it or just how to adjust your lifestyle to deal with this chronic illness, you go to the American Heart Association and they keep abreast of policy and research and all of that. And that's what we do for mental health um, on both sides of the state line in both Kansas and in Missouri. What a great illustration, mm -hmm. great illustration. Mm -hmm. Do you have some examples you'd like to share some of your programs? Abs absolutely. Um, we kind of break it down and say that, that we're a leader in offering roads to recovery. And part of, part of the, and one of the largest ways we do that is with wellness and support advocates. Mm -hmm. um, other people will call them peer specialists. These are people with uh, lived experience of mental illness who we put on our payroll, but who actually work in other social service agencies and usually not mental health ones to to reach out to people who are frequenting frequenting maybe a domestic violence shelter or a food pantry or a diabetes education center uh, but who part of why they're struggling with their diabetes is they also have depression mm -hmm. or part right. of why they're struggling right. with the need for the food pantry is is an undiagnosed untreated mental health problem that those social service agencies just are not that adept at helping a person navigate or helping a person recognize without stigma the, mm -hmm. that recovery is really possible and how to, how to get down that path. You know, I'm a certified peer specialist well, in the state terrific. of Missouri, and so anytime I hear a peer-focused approach, obviously professionals are essential. Mm -hmm. But that peer approach to me is crucial. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. So what, what kinds of things do you does Mental Health America do specifically with, with their peers? peers? I, again, it, it varies. Um, if, we are, if, if one of my peers is working in a domestic violence shelter, they may be helping, um, helping one of the women figure out how to ride the bus to a mental health appointment mm. and hanging on to the kids in the waiting room so that she well. can actually have a worthwhile therapy session. Um, at, if we're at a free health clinic, we may be helping people understand the medications they've been prescribed. Mm -hmm. If we are in a homeless shelter, we may be helping with intake. It just depends on the, the setting we're in. Right okay. now we're working in a number of places, but one is uh, for people who, and I love this term, mm -hmm. um, they're called returning citizens. They are individuals oh, with a, a history of, of incarceration, and they are returning citizens and helping them get back on their feet. Um, we use a lot of our wellness and support advocates in housing, um, and so that's that's one of the key places that we that we use our our peer support workers. Um, our housing is permanent supportive housing. Um, oh, that's great! And it's permanent. That, it's yes, right. it's your forever home. 
Um, you are there great. as long mm -hmm. as you want to be there. People will say, well, what's your waiting list? And I'll always laugh and say, well, what's the waiting list for your apartment? <laughs> well, I can be, right. As soon as you want to go somewhere else, you will, and they'll list it, and they'll get someone else in. Mm -hmm. But we have individuals who have lived in their apartments for as long as we've had them, for as, mm -hmm. as long as 1999, because it's their home, and they like mm -hmm. it there. Um, but we, we have folks who come directly out of homelessness. Uh, straight great. out from under the bridge, straight mm. out from uh, you know from off somebody's couch, um, that go directly into that apartment. They don't have to prove they're worthy, etc. Mm -hmm. And we wrap all the supports they need around them, including pots, pans, linens, and furniture, um, and our peer specialists uh, and our residential manager to to enable them to have success. So, if someone wanted to take advantage of that kind of program mm -hmm. or any of the other wonderful programs you have, what is their first step? Um, easiest thing to do is going to be give us a telephone call at 913-281-2221 or to jump on our website and look around, which is www.mhah.org. Okay. Um, if they are interested in just learning more about mental health, um, we do a large number of workshops and seminars in the community on topics of interest to individuals with mental illness, their families, or other people who care about them, whether that's co-worker, et cetera. Mm -hmm. We also design workshops for um, professionals such as clergy, lay oh, leaders, wow. law enforcement, nursing home staff. Uh, we actually are, are in the middle of um, designing a, a series for folks who run gyms. And there are a couple of things that, that, we, that we worry about and that we work on and that we want to share. Um, one we call Before Stage 4. Oh, yeah. Which basically says, why in America are we not treating mental health problems until people get to Stage 4? Mm -hmm. If you had a skin splotch, you would not wait till you had stage four cancer before we got treatment for you. And still, in America, we are waiting till a person goes into acute psychiatric crisis where they mm -hmm. are thinking about harming themselves or somebody else before we're going to intervene and get them help. And that is absolutely, absolutely dreadful from mm -hmm. every possible perspective. Could you give a quick rundown of what the four steps are? Oh, just stages are just stages. from um, initial being aware that maybe something's not not quite right okay. to where a person is starting to, to show some pretty clear symptoms okay. um, to where a person gets diagnosis and is actually engaged in regular ongoing treatment. And it's... You know, it's like any other chronic illness. You typically don't start with crisis, but you'll mm -hmm. get into crisis right. if, you, if you don't intervene and, and start getting help regularly to manage this condition you just happen to have. Wow. Okay. Um, I think the other thing that we really worry about is the, is the gap, and it's, it's similar, it's related, is the okay. gap between when a person typically first starts having really pronounced symptoms of mental health problems and when they actually get into treatment that works and that's still running at about mm. seven years we would not let that happen in any other illness why do you think we, that's 
I think True. it's a combination of things. I think that still people are not always aware of what they're looking at. Okay. Oh, well, you know, and, and schizophrenia is a very, very good example. Gee, this young person is acting kind of strange. They're isolating themselves. Oh, maybe they're doing drugs. Or maybe it's oh. just a phase or whatever. Then they, you know, it's a year or two later, and they have, you know, the first onset of, of really pronounced symptoms, hallucinations, delusions. If it's depression, folks are like, oh, well, you know, I've been depressed. I was mm. depressed when my father died. Mm -hmm. You should just suck it up. So mm -hmm. you just be really quiet and hope it goes away and maybe feel a little better. People just don't know. And then you have another episode and another episode and another episode. And what we also know is if you treat any of those mental illnesses when you first get sick, you're less likely to get sick in the future, or if you do, you're likely to get less mm. sick, mm -hmm. which is the same way that goes with any other illness we have. So, so knowing, what, knowing what you're looking at, helping people to understand what symptoms look like, how to get treatment, what all is, is a cornerstone to good recovery is, is a huge piece of, of how we carry out our mission of promoting community mental health and improving quality of life um, I think the other thing I mean we everyone talks about stigma 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 mm -hmm. um, right. and again I've been around for 22 years I don't see it the way I used to see it 22 years ago but it is still very very profound in some populations um, certainly in our aging population which mm. is you know we've all heard of the silver tsunami mm. um, there's still a great deal of, of stigma around mental health. Um, certainly in communities of color, there's a lot more stigma than there is in the, in the white middle class kind of community. Um, but that, that being un, unwilling or uncomfortable or ashamed of this illness um, really is part of, of what delays treatment. It's also what allows us to not treat mental illness Right. the same as every other illness and um, I will I will say that whether you are for or against the Affordable Care Act the most important thing that that Affordable Care Act did for people with mental health their family members etc mm -hmm. is said that mental health is is a benefit that is essential it is oh, required yes, yes. Because for a long time, the language was, well, if you're going to offer mental health insurance, then it's got to be the same as for any other organ. But that little, two little, two-letter little bitty word is really big. Because mm -hmm. if you don't offer it, well, you don't have to do anything. The Affordable Care Act said, you have to offer mm -hmm. it if you're offering insurance. And that's absolutely huge. Well, Isn't that the... Wasn't that called the, the, parody, the parody Act? Act? Yes, the Parody Act was the one that says if you offer it, then you must. And it mm -hmm. took 20 plus years to get parody through, but it took the Affordable Care Act to get the if out. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and whether you like any other element of that as a, as a mental health advocacy organization, as a civil rights organization, mm -hmm. one disease should not be completely shut out of insurance benefits. That's that's one of the things that really hit me as you were talking and comparing mental illness with some of these other things. It is. 
It's an illness. It's an illness. It's we it's biological. It's biological. Yeah. You can mm-hmm. see the difference on brain scans. You can see the difference mm-hmm. chemically. Mm-hmm. You, there, it is a biological illness. It's a biological illness that affects one in four Americans, for heaven's sake. Um, it's a biological illness that can be completely debilitating or not, mm-hmm. or not at all. And mm-hmm. I think I think that the most, boy, the most important thing I would say is that treatment works and treatment is treatment is not for the next 40 years you're going to be lying on a couch talking about your mother it doesn't necessarily mean you're even going to be on medication forever Mm -hmm. Um, but just like you manage any other illness it's it's treatment it's doing some things differently in how you live your life eating better sleeping better taking care of your stress Um, but recovery happens when you get treatment and I, I think that's really encouraging and a message that anyone listening here really needs to understand whether it's them themselves that have that or a family member or a friend or whatever, that recovery is possible. Now, since we and, co- and what I would say to that is that was what I used to say. And after, again, after 22 years, I've stopped saying recovery is possible. I've started uh-huh. saying recovery, if we will get you fund provide mm-hmm. the supports and the treatment you need. Recovery is inevitable. Ah, I like that. It's inevitable with the right treatment and supports. I like that. That's great. So, you know, we've, we've gone to this encouragement now. What are some positives that you see related to the mental health uh, crisis I think we yeah. have. What are some more positive things you can say? Um, I see the positives in the in the individuals that we get to work with in our housing programs. Individuals who uh, people are like, well, why do people leave your, your places? Is it because you're evicting them because they trash the place out because they're mentally <laughs> ill? No. Um, one, of, one of my dearest, dearest residents um, just moved out of his apartment. He'd lived there for, since 1999. He was never wow. going to move. Wow. But his mother is ailing. Mm. And he went home to take care of her and she lives in another town. Just like many of us who mm. might not have mental illness mm. move to take care of our families. Our, our folks, when they leave our housing, leave because they got their kids back. Oh. And it's a one-bedroom apartment and they need more space. Or they got married. Mm. Or they did any, any of the things that the rest of us do. I think the other thing that makes me feel very hopeful um, is one of our programs is doing suicide prevention in the schools, in local high schools. That's Um, great. And when we walk in the door, about 30% of the kids say, if I was feeling suicidal or if I was worried about a friend, I'd go seek an adult's help. Really? Yeah, 30%. That means 70% aren't. At the end of our sessions, we are at about 93% of kids who are willing to go seek help if they or someone else is feeling suicidal. And I think that's, that's key. There's, mm-hmm. there's help available, mm-hmm. and there's, not, there's never enough funding for anything, but there's, it's increasingly mm-hmm. easy to fund therapy for those kids. But if those kids... They have to come out. They have to come out. Right. And they have, to, they have mm-hmm. to know that there is no shame in that mm-hmm. and that there is help. And I think there's a lot more awareness about the um, teen suicide prevention now. Mm -hmm. Yeah, there's gotten to be a lot more focus on the teen Mm -hmm. suicide prevention. I Mm -hmm. continue to be 
very, very worried about uh, about suicide in our elders, suicide yes. in our veterans, um, and suicide yes. in our rural populations. We're but, not focusing nearly as much as we should. Um, again, I mentioned we train in, in nursing facilities, and I talk a lot about the fact that very often seniors are, are missed for depression. Mm -hmm. Well, I think that we have a lot to think about, and before we go today, I want to ask if there's if Jane, if you have any other questions, or okay, uh, Sue, is there anything that you really want to share before we go? I would share, since since people who've turned into this podcast obviously care about mental illness mm -hmm. and, and the people around them, um, the most important thing would be to to reach out and and be a friend. That's great. Be a friend. Be supportive make that call we used to talk about the, the whole casserole problem oh, where yes. if, if if someone is in the hospital because they've had a knee replacement there will be casseroles brought to the house for days if someone's in the hospital because they've attempted suicide nobody will bring them bring the family a casserole and we might not even sit next to them at church mm -hmm. Um, and being being a friend and reaching out to people with with the kind of compassion that we all have in us is is amazing for recovery. Just be there. Be there for people. There. If you're not sure what to do, if you don't know the information, if you don't know what to say, give us a call. We'll That's help good. you with that. I actually thought of one more question. We can work it in. This podcast, the name is Mental Health and Faith, mm -hmm. A Closer Look. So personally for you mm -hmm. where do you see faith being involved in a mental health program oh it's it's huge it is huge it's huge in a couple of places one nearly any chronic medical condition benefits from faith and spiritual mm -hmm. practice and prayer whether that's people praying with you for you or you doing that for yourself mm -hmm. um i i am always um always aware that very often it is to our our friends in faith and to our pastors and spiritual leaders that we turn first when yes. we have a mental health um, issue or concern um, and and some of that is a is a cultural thing um, in my own personal mm -hmm. culture that is where we turn mm -hmm. um, not necessarily to mental health despite my having been in it for 20 years <laughs> um, but I think too faith is important because for many of us particularly with the very very common issue uh, illness of depression the feeling of that illness feels like a crisis of Faith. And I hear faith words being used with people when they describe their depression. Wow. Um, and so one of the things we did a number of years ago was work very, very heavily with clergy around speaking from the pulpit about depression um, and about being a place where in this congregation you can talk mm -hmm. about it and we can give you we can give you help as well and information and linkage as well as, as our prayers and our compassion. I think you're, you've just hit it. It's desperately needed, isn't it? It absolutely is. Well, Sue, this has just been delightful. It has been. I've enjoyed myself. Yes. Mm -hmm. So we're going to sign off now. And 
And hopefully you can come back and be a guest another time in the future. We would really enjoy that. I would too. Thank you so much. Thank you for joining us here at the Mental Health and Faith podcast. I hope you enjoyed the episode, and I really do look forward to hearing from you. For more information, check out my website at www.ngodscorner.org. Thank you.